Hi, everyone. Helping Parents Heal assists bereaved parents in very significant ways. It provides personal and specialized support, tips and tools for finding hope for those parents whose children have passed. It offers much needed peer support, which aids in the healing process, going a step beyond other groups because it supports the open discussion of spiritual experiences and evidence for the afterlife in a non-dogmatic way. Everyone is welcome, regardless of religious or non-religious background, allowing for open dialogues for those to wish, who wish to share their personal afterlife communications. I'm truly both delighted and honored to have been asked to introduce some of the enlightened presenters who are at this conference. These insights provide uplifting interviews comprising a special new series on grief and rebirth podcast that will illumine the wondrous healing work of helping parents heal. The organization's sole mission is to help other parents who have also lost their precious children, ensuring them that they need not walk alone through their profound grief. Thank you. Our next interview is with Gordon Smith, who is an international medium, a public figure, a tutor, as you can hear, and he is the author of an impressive, are you ready, 23 books <laughs> that have sold over a million copies in different languages. Gordon has been hailed by the UK as Britain's most accurate medium. Don't blush, Gordon. I'm not. <laughs> and there is no doubt that he is the real deal. In fact, he's been the subject of seven years of testing at Glasgow University, conducted by Emeritus Professor Archie Roy, the head of the Scottish Society of Psychical Research, whose findings have been published in only three scientific journals. Yeah. <laughs> You're a, an internationally recognized as one of the world's leading psychic mediums and spiritual teachers. He's developed his outstanding natural ability under the tutelage of some of the world's most sought-after mediums, and I really want to ask him about that. And his prestigious reputation for being accurate and authentic has meant that he is constantly in demand. When do you sleep? <laughs> well, actually, sleep is a different occurrence. I think we can do a lot when we know that sleep is just to put the body to one side and let the consciousness go on with doing other things. Oh, well, I'm sure. <laughs> He, you've traveled, he's traveled, Gordon's traveled the world many times over, both demonstrating his mediumship and teaching international students. His teachings have been converted into highly successful online courses. And in fact, I believe he's developing an online course for helping parents heal, which I'm really looking forward to hearing from him about. Uh, I want to I ask Gordon how he sees and hears what he transmits to so many people, how he works with spiritual guides and guardian angels, the Zoom program of classes he's putting together for helping parents heal, such a blessing, no, that's nice. and more. And this is, as you can already tell everyone, going to be just incredible. Really special. 
fun interview. Definitely fun. Gordon, a warm welcome to Brief Thank and you Rebirth so much. Podcast. It's a joy, I mean. It is a joy. It is. I want to throw the notes all away and just <laughs> chat with you. But let me, let me introduce everyone to who you were as a kid. I mean, as a child, you had a certainty that there was a guardian above you and that you could consult, that who you could consult with when you felt afraid or lonely. Yeah. That's in everyone? Um, <laughs> I, well, some people do. Um, for me, uh, I always had this inner knowing as a little boy. <laughs> and I lived in quite a, a turbulent family. There was a lot of aggression that growing up in Glasgow. It was quite a d deprived place and really lots of depression there. So my family, a big family, I was the seventh son of a seventh son. Oh my gosh. I know, that's a wonderful Your thing to say. Kept very she really was, but there's kind of. <laughs> Celtic lore was that if you were a seventh son of a seventh son, you had the sight, they would say. So I was already born with this thing that, oh, this is going to be a child who sees things or he can lay his hand on. And they accepted that. They just knew that you would be Well, like yeah, that. because we have part Irish, part Scottish in me, and the Irish and Scots are quite superstitious with that stuff. So for me, that was something I just thought everybody had this inner knowing. H having said that, I studied uh, C.G. Jung for many, many years, and uh, the psychoanalyst. Yes. And he always oh, talked yeah. about personality number one and personality number two. Well, to me, that was just like the adult within you. As I grew, I realized the adult within me was either my higher consciousness that was awake while I was a child. You understood this as a child? Uh -huh. So you knew this. You knew that, well, either this is not me or it's a separate entity that knows things that I don't. Because I suppose as a little boy, I, having an inner world, you, you kind of question everything inwardly. You don't look for an answer from the outside world. So answers would come to me. And in many ways, I was teaching myself spirit communication. I was talking to well, another world. Well, not only that, your whole world around you was so busy that it yeah. was probably better for you to withdraw within and, and to develop this. So I, I, I suppose in, in lots of ways I also look at it as being able to quite easily move in and out of altered states because a daydream is an altered state. So for me as a daydreamer, as a child, you're, you're on, you know, your eyes are there, but that's like a screensaver. You're like, uh. But what's going on in here is that you're sensing, feeling, hearing on a, a whole different level. And I suppose my whole life I was being attuned to a different frequency. Because it's all about frequency. Yeah, and would you say frequency is synonymous with vibration? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, so, so for me as a little boy, and that's one of the things I would say to a lot of people who even... If they have kids who are psychic or say, Mom, I saw someone in the room, don't frighten those children. Lots of children get frightened by their parents' reaction. Don't frighten and them. And their parents shut them down. So well, that's what happens because the kid thinks, oh my God, and they react at the, ch the parents' reaction. A child will drink from their parents' emotions because they don't know emotion. So they will drink from the parents' emotion and become emotionally stained by a parent who reacts or overreacts. So for me, my mom and dad didn't overreact to me. I was lucky. They just ignored what was going on. They saw it from they afar. They accepted it because you were the seven of seven. The seven. So they thought, there's something different about this one. But I would come in and tell them things. You know, they would be worried about my sister one time saying, God, she hasn't reported back in. And we didn't have cell phones. We only had one phone in the house, if you were lucky. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't know who to contact. And it's almost like as a child I could feel my mum and dad's anxiety between them building. And that will affect a psychic child. A, chi a psychic child will react to atmosphere. Absolutely. So the atmosphere between my mum and dad was building. 
And I would react and I would burst out and say... Well, you were a highly sensitive yeah. child. So you, my reaction would be, my sister's fine. She's in a police station. She's in Carlisle. She'll be home at 10 o'clock at night and then <laughs> shut down. And they would go, what? And of course, that's exactly what happened. All very innocent. She'd been out with a boyfriend whose car broke down. They took her to a police station and they drove her home and da-da-da-da-da. And it all panned out. So they then would look at me, they didn't encourage it, they didn't discourage it, they didn't know what to do with it, but they observed it. And I think that was the right thing. Because also to make a psychic child feel special, that can really be damaging to a child. It almost makes them feel they have to perform. It's like these little showbiz children where the parents push them on stage and yes. things. So I don't think we should ever make our children feel different because they have an ability. Just say, wow, that's incredible. Tell me more if it happens. You know, and be your open. parents were enlightened to do that. Yeah. How did your siblings react to that? Um, I never knew because I was or just... were they like, oh, I'm glad he's like this? Now as I'm older, they will all tell me they thought I was a creepy child. <laughs> he's a creepy little he's brother. He's the weird one. Yeah. He's the outlier. But then again, I come from a long line of Scottish um, kind of Highlanders who had the gift of healing, had the gift of sight. So... It's, it was always brought down through the family in some ways, to even just talk of it. So the, there was an awareness of it. And then I was probably protected within the old folklores that my grandmother was a seer or my grandfather and things like that. So, so did you receive a premonition that you'd one day be recognized as a medium? How did that go? How well, did that my, come down? Yeah, I did. My parents took me. I was the youngest child, so I was dragged along with them when they went to meet friends and things. So I was taken with them to meet an old friend. And whilst there, her sister appeared, this lady. Not appeared, she actually came into the room <laughs> to watch how I say appeared. People think I'm talking spirits. But the real lady came in, and she happened to say, Oh, my God, this child is clairvoyant. So, of course, that's a new word to me. I'm thinking, clairvoyant, what's that mean? I'm being told I'm something. And my parents just looked at each other and thought, oh no. But this lady said, may I, may I do some healing? Because I had, um, I've been getting a lot of problem with my eyes. What kinds of problems? Um, I, was, well, I was seeing lights around people. And my parents took me you to doctors. Bored. Yeah, yeah. But of course they didn't know that. We're talking the 1960s. So, uh, you know, <laughs> actually that would have been a good time to see auras <laughs> psychedelically. But I was eight, or seven or eight. So anyway, they, they took me there and... Um, this lady happened to say, oh my God, this child is a medium. And my mother said, he is the seventh son of a seventh son. And she said, oh my God, but feel his aura. And she was asking my mum and dad, like, put of course, my dad was a very practical, down-to-earth, grounded man. And he's like... And he, I gave birth to what? <laughs> but they could feel it. They could actually feel the energy. They didn't know what it was. Wow. And the lady said, your boy's going to travel the world. He's going to travel the world passing messages from the other side. And of course, to me, I just felt, I'm being told I'm good at something, I don't know what it is. And of course, when we got out, my mother said, do not let any of that nonsense go to your head, boy. So, mm, that was that. Oh, your mother was good, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. She because really kept you grounded. Grounded. You have to. But yeah, so I suppose, as a child, I had lots of different visions, predictions, contact with spirit. Not all the time. I don't want people to think I was plagued by this. I wasn't. Because most of my childhood, I was a normal child, playing normally with my friends. And then I'd have a moment where I'd feel a vibration. And that was how it always started, as though my heart would beat a little bit faster. Boom, 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 boom. And then everything would go quiet. And then something would occur. And it was usually some message. And when I would relay the message, adults around me would, would, would actually freak a bit. I never, I never once, 
Because for me, I felt this wonderful connection to this heartbeat. Ba-boom, ba-boom. But it wasn't my heartbeat. But for you, it was a comfort. Yeah. When you knew so that it comforted me. And that's when, if anybody has ever asked me in my life, were you not frightened as a child if you saw something or heard voices? And I'd say no, because it was always accompanied by this wonderful, reassuring heartbeat, this pulse. But it was a vibration. Is it a vibration? Oh, yeah. It was it a heartbeat or like a, a, a tingling and a vibration? No, no, it was definitely a movement. I could a feel really this. Movement. And it's, it's the start of an altered state of consciousness. What it really is, is having awareness of your own aura. So as a child, I had that awareness when, so you would go from being physical, so if you think your physical heartbeat like this, and then all of a sudden there's this. So that's there all the time. So to go into an altered state, you're gonna feel that. So the reason that I got the, the real scientific answer to this was when I was working with the good professor. And one of the tests he did was he gave me an ECG mm -hmm. while I was to go into an altered would, state. Right. I'm sitting there with ECG and there's nurses taking your pulse and checking all your vitals. And um, I started to feel my heart beating really fast, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And they said, no, no, it's not. And I said, yeah, my heart's really going now. Racing. And no, your ECG is showing that you're actually going into sleep state. And I said, really? But then it, that was when I got my moment of clarity. Wow, this is my aura. So now that told me whenever I saw kids who'd say, I was sitting on the chair and this chair started to shake. No, it didn't. Your light body started to come into play and it made everything go altered. And this is what happens to somebody who lies in a bed at night and they say, the bed was shaking and I could feel this vibration. What the feeling is going into an out of body state into the light body. So the light body we don't normally catch in the everyday waking state. You may go through it slightly going in towards sleep. But as I say, my whole training is to be stay in the in-between place, stay in the thin place, stay in the two worlds and have a feed between the two worlds. Definitely more fun. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Gordon, when you have this aura, when you're saying that you're perceiving mm -hmm. this aura, does it have colors to it? Is it just white light? What do you perceive? Well, when it's me, I get nothing. I just get a f the, the presence of it, the feeling of connecting with it. Where if I, uh, like, so even looking at yourself, I, I will get a haze, just a haze, kind of almost like the stuff that comes off the ground on a hot day. You're just seeing that lovely, energy lifting, going lighter, finer vibration, if you like, of you. And that, that's really what I would see at the moment. And other pe people have different types of auras, right? I suppose so, but I don't really get into all of that. I think I, I can overload my mind with information. If I start to look for all these things, like earlier I, I, I spoke with somebody and saw like for a moment, just like the way you would see a rainbow and then gone. But the aura in itself is, in many ways, probably a hologrammatic version of a crystal, if that makes any sense yeah, to anyone. Sense. Mm -hmm. But so to me, when you have a, a good feeling, the aura will actually, you know, highlight. So, so the aura's, if you like, refraction of light comes from within. So when we feel that we're in love, you know, when people are in love, they're in an altered state of consciousness because you're like, you're not yourself. You know, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. I mean, really, what's all that about? But, you know, we're in another state of self. And it lasts for about 18 months, two years, whatever, and then you wake up. And you wake up and you're... Who is that person beside me? <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm meaning is that when you have that good feeling, the good you, that's the spiritual you that is growing. It's the loving you. And that's the part that starts to grow. So we feel it like that, or we feel it when we have a child. And our child starts to grow and we love the child. 
And a lot of that love grows with us. It doesn't just happen. You don't just go, oh, I love my baby. You protect your baby. You nurture your baby. And the love starts to grow. And that's, that's, that's a more permanent love. In love, up and down. So that kind of well-being thing is something you feel with your aura. So if somebody's in love or somebody's feeling great, their aura is going to look like a diamond sparkling in the light. You'll see blue, yellow, boom, boom, boom. So there's no colour really, it's just a reflection of inner feelings coming out. Yeah, Look at who I am. Yes, absolutely. So I want to tell everyone that you started life as a barber. Yes. Okay, so what led you to that and what led you away from that? And I'm sure there's a great story about that. And then you had a 15-year journey developing your mediumship Mm. with some of the world's most sought-after mediums. So impress us, Gordon. Just tell us what you did. Well, you know, it's not even so much about the names of the mediums. It's more their experience. So to be taught by real experienced people, not borrowing experience from books or teachers of the past I mean, that you, you can go never around know. around the world to yeah. find these people? Well, no, my, my teachers were all in Scotland. They were in Scotland. So I was really lucky that we have a great crop of mediums in Scotland, or we had when I was developing some of the best mediums. Albert Best was one of the best mediums in the world. And that man became like a mentor to me. Uh, he saw potential in what I did. And he said, I, I want to look after this young guy. And, and he did. And he my, saw your aura. He did. He but more life. than that, um, I worked with him once when I was just a young fledgling medium. And, and he said to me, you have potential. And Albert didn't say that to anybody. He was always very sort of dubious of other mediums. Are they real? He really was because he'd known there was a lot of charlatans out there. And he wanted to know that if we're going to work with people who need. And Albert had lost his three children and his wife in a bombing. So for him, to help people was key. That's what it was about. Forget all the other stuff. So for me to have that kind of connection to a man who honoured the the loved ones in the spirit world. So that was how I was taught. My other teacher was Mrs. Jean Primrose, who was an incredible spiritual teacher. And she taught me for seven years how to work with altered states of consciousness. She was a trance medium. So I was taught how to, quite literally, she said to me, you do it like the scales in music. You've already been doing this. Which I had, I didn't know. You didn't identify so, what it was. So what she quite literally did was she conducted my development. She allowed me to come out a little bit back in and teach me discipline. So where lots of people were running around trying to learn how to do mediumship, I was being taught discipline. How not to do mediumship is a bigger discipline than how to do it. All right, explain that to us. Well, you, Why is it a bigger discipline to shut it off? Well, when you think that if you've got an untrained medium... It would be like having an untrained doctor and letting them loose on the public. Well, an untrained medium could do more damage than an untrained doctor, psychologically, emotionally. If somebody does not have the mind to work as a medium, they shouldn't do it yet. They should finish the class, finish the time. So for me, I was taught how to make a better version of me, a more adult version, so that I could sit with people who had lost children and try to get into their atmosphere. I couldn't, or I wasn't allowed to go in and react emotionally. My job was to be an emotional lifeguard. We don't go into the emotional sea with people. We take them out of it. So what you're doing, you're talking about detachment in a way, as opposed to embodying what's going on with with the other person. Do you know, one of of my greatest teachings, I suppose, back then was I was also taught by Tibetan Buddhists. We have a Tibetan temple in Scotland. So I was being taught how to be grounded in reality. 
whilst reaching out into a spirit world. So, so that made me a safe place for people to come so that I would not get lost in their emotions. And there were many times I would hear people, you know, their I mean, stories. I these emotions all the time. Oh, yeah. And you would hear it. So, so you're naturally sympathetic because you're a sensitive. But here's the thing. Your sensitivity, you teach yourself how to reach for your sensitivity to feel what's in there in a person. So the mediumship comes to you. You don't have mediumship. You're a vessel of it. But you, the one thing you can improve is this. You can improve your space. So I make my space a very grounded space, but I also am very open for the spirit to pass messages through. So my sympathy can connect to somebody's pain, angst, whatever they're going through. That's where I'll connect, but I don't allow myself to become over-sympathetic, otherwise I react. And then it's not, not my grief, it's not their grief, it's mine. It's you're like, taking no, no, it no. on, and you're taking <coughs> up other yeah. people because you're the one who's now sharing the grief. And I learned you don't have to do that. Mediums actually need to learn to be psychologically robust. You've got to be really strong, and you can't be tempted to go in there and, and bawl and cry. You have to go, no, I'm bringing you out of that. Then you have a purpose. To go in makes no sense. It makes no, other than that, people think, look at how sensitive I am. I'm really, well, that's not helpful. It's not helpful to people. It's not helpful to you. So, yes, I could go away later and think, oh, my God, that is an awful tragedy. And I'm so grateful that I don't have that. But not during the thing. No, I have to be a rock. So, so the, the training I had was really that I had mediumship, and it was how to discipline the mind of the medium. Because the mind of the medium can contaminate the mediumship. But you also had training in spiritual healing, yes, which enhanced your mediumship. So, and you believe that every true act of spiritual mediumship has a ray of healing light at its core. Of course, Tell it us does. About that. Well, once again, uh, my, my teacher, Mrs. Primrose, um, though she knew that I had natural mediumship within me, the one class she made me attend was healing, and I said, "Why healing?" So you were she was you were training to become a healer yes. also, and uh, I was never trained to be a medium. I was trained to sit in altered states of consciousness and, and also being developed in compassion with my Buddhist friends, the two things worked. Because from compassion comes healing, but mediumship by its true nature is an act of healing. Because to help somebody who's grieving, to get them to move again out of where they're stuck in grief is an act of healing. So when the two things combine, and so what she said to me is, if you can learn how to have compassion for other people, your mediumship will reflect that. It won't just be, your husband's here, he lives in number 15, such and such, he died on the 28th. That's robotic, evidential mediumship. Whereas what was happening with me was, use all your things. Use your sensitivity to feel the atmosphere around and in a person. Let the spirit world bring what they need and allow it to come through healing. So you're like a vessel. Yes. The whole thing is, is... So when yeah. you're reading someone, you're also a vessel yes. to help them to heal. Absolutely. But you also must be grounded enough to give them a ground, to earth them. So when you think that somebody's on hyper energy because of <gasps> their anxious, you know, their anxieties and fears, and that makes people kind of out there. So you've got to be like putting an earth wire into an electric plug. Boom. You have to let them touch the ground again. And that's what happens with a lot of people who are grieving. They've, they've lost touch. Naturally so. Grief is a natural thing where you feel disconnection. So you need to connect them again, and to do that, we earth them. Boom, the way lightning does. So what do you do? Like, all right, so you, so you have someone who's really grieving. They're so upset. 
you're getting a message from their deceased yeah. loved ones, but you're also healing them at the same time. So the whole thing is healing, yeah. So is it your vibration that's reaching out to them? Yes. In a sense, it's a kind of, what would you call it? Energy balancing healing. So if I've been trained to create my aura as a space, a safe space for people, also a sacred space for spirit. So when I sit with someone, I'm extending that into their space. If there's a moment where, say, in one instance, there was a lady whose son had been killed in a car accident, and, and when they brought her in to me, she just looked vacant, not present in her own body, sort of like. She was in shock. She, completely. So that shock had thrown her, and she needed to be shocked. And, and I had said to her, John Peter is here. And she just looked at me and jumped. And I said, relax, he's here, he's with us. And that was her boy's name, and nobody told me that, but it was enough of a shock to let her ground. And then the healing can start. And I said, do you know what? He loves she you. Opens. You didn't miss this, you didn't miss that. He's been with you, he's done. All the information comes then. Messages of love, messages of reality, so that she now doesn't see that she's got a dead son who died in a car crash. Her brain was fixed on that death, feeling helpless as a mother. I let my son down, feeling guilty, feeling all the things. And in this moment now, her son's alive in another world. He hasn't died. So she's got a contract with him. So the purpose of that is to heal and take away that moment. Because in doing that, we teach people to go beyond the death. Mm -hmm. A lot of people get stuck on the death. And so they need to go beyond the death. That's my next question. What happens after we die? You want to describe this I'm to us? I'm a psychic. <laughs> you did. You read my mind. What happens when we die? Um, well, we don't. The physical body will die, and the consciousness will move out. Now, do we into... come out of our head? <laughs> do we? Does the soul leave? There's the old tantric way of looking at it that you will come up through the chi line, and. You know, that's if you practice that. That's a practice to do that. That's an actual practice. So tantric practice is... Tantric actually is very misunderstood. A lot of people think that means something sexual and something spiritual. It doesn't. It just means something wonderful. Tantric means... So you, you and I could meet and have a wonderful connection. That's tantric. That's it. We have a tantric moment. So tantric is, oh my God, my son, I'm, he makes me feel so good. Tantric. So, so that people know what I'm talking about with that. That's in a really way, joy is. is tantric. Yes. Joy, joy and great experience. So great experience of accomplishment is tantric. So, so that, that's really what that means. So to die is like that. So we look at it through the wrong end of the binoculars. Right, so straighten us yeah. out, Gordon. So, so people are thinking, oh my God, that poor soul died. No, that wonderful soul went home. That wonderful soul expanded. Now, I, I was 60 a few weeks back, and on the morning of my 60th birthday, I was waking up. You know that lovely in-between place I talk about, the thin place? And my mind is coming back into the body, and then all of a sudden I'm held in a, a stasis, and I can see people somewhere, and then I get zoomed in on them. And there's a lecture going on, and there's a cadaver, a dead body, on a table an elderly woman's body, and there's a professor of something standing talking to the crowd, and I'm now with the crowd. And he says, now look at this. He says, look at this carcass. And he said, hold on. And he does this with his finger, and he touches the solar plexus, and life comes into the body of this elderly woman, and she goes, ah! Oh, and she could feel all her pain, and she could, oh, oh, and she's whining and moving and things. And everybody's watching, fascinated, myself included, wow. And then he says, now watch. And he does this. 
and he throws it onto the screen and it just expands and an explosion of life. He said, now that is living. He says, that has carried this body for 80 years. It deserves that now, doesn't it? She's free. What a beautiful way of looking at it. And it just made me think of that lovely moment from the chrysalis to the butterfly. It's not a death. It's a suspended moment between two worlds, only to lead to freedom, expansion, and incredible perspective. That's amazing. So tell me what... The world looks like to you. Do you see? Oh my goodness! When you are in a room, you must—it must be so different than it is for the rest of us. The the world as I see it, the the real world as I see it, um, well, it, it fluctuates because, if, as a family man, I have two sons, I have a granddaughter, I have brothers and sisters and things. So, so you've got the real stuff going on there of the physical world, which is. You do see the physical world. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have to. You must honour this. You've you've came here. There's, this is physical consciousness. So you're going to have the dramas that happen in every life. And everybody has drama. We all have, if we live long enough, we'll lose people. You know, if, if we live long enough, we're going to have fights, arguments, all this stuff. We mustn't try and get rid of that. That's all part of our Just human package. Of human experience. Yeah, it's all stickers on our suitcase. We've done all that stuff. But beyond that, beyond that is this incredible knowledge of you can't die for the life of you. That's, your, that's what your presentation is. It really is that. You cannot die for the life of you. And it's because for me, as a young boy having a, quite a traumatic upbringing with lots of anger in, around me and my family, and then finding this euphoria, if you like, it's like that takes away your fear of death. So when you lose your fear of dying, you lose your fear of living. And so therefore the world looks to me like, wow. And I know the world is, at the moment, people are afraid of it because of all the information they get, and, and quite rightly so for some people. But in actual fact, when you, you sit above it and see it from that perspective, the higher perspective, it's still a beautiful world, incredible world, with wonderful people and, and great happenings every day. It's sad that some sad piece of news can hold the world's attention. People when happiness is going on, yeah. But because it's easier to contain a negative in your brain than a positive. A positive expands us, and people don't know what to do with that unless they're in love. And even when they're in love, they don't know what to do with that. So they marry someone and then go, did I do the right thing? Do I really? I, I can remember. I've been married, I've been married twice for my first... I used to say, I hope I like him tomorrow. I can remember that very well. <laughs> it's like that because when you don't know yourself... You are fickle. We are all fickle things when we don't know ourselves. So to invest some time on knowing you. So developing mediumship wasn't about developing a gift or a skill. It was about developing the better version of me. So it was about more of you things. knowing yourself yeah. Self to be able to help others. Yeah. Well, you can't really help others if you're fumbling through life just being kind. Oh, I'm really kind. Let me help you. Actually, a lot of people like that cause a lot of trouble because they just bumble into things and then they create new karma. And you think, and not good karma. <laughs> so you think, stop that. All right, wait, stop. So they create negative karma. Well, negative actions, yeah. And then they have to come back and... And they'll say, but I was just, I was just being kind. Now, real kindness comes from an enlightened mind. The mind that can enlighten more can truly be kind because they will know when to say no. They will know when not to. 
So giving, giving, giving is what happens when somebody's newly born spiritually. You know, and they, they want to hug everybody and they want to love everybody and share their love. Somebody finds God for the first time or a religion. They want to share it with the world. So that's like a baby spirit in a sense. And they just want to keep giving it out. And then many times they're like a bright light, but a bright light can scorch. So they need to be tempered. They need to be developed and honed. And that's what happened to me. I got allowed to hone myself, to hone my skills, to be taught in the proper old way of a craft. You know, like the old ancients would, would not allow a healer just to go and heal because they could. They would teach them the skills of anatomy. They would teach them the skills of potions. They would teach them all, the land, everything that they were in, so that you become a part of everything. So to me, I know my land. You know, and I'm land, happy you have in your it. tools, you know what to I do. I am happy in it, yeah. But with all that you've done, have you ever thought of giving up? Uh, once, one day. All right, tell us that story. I was in my barber shop, and um, I was cutting hair. And with a great buzz in the salon, hairdressers, anybody who works in there, or even you go there, hairdressers can be a really wonderful healing place. Real buzz happening, vibration's great. We're all going to see Tina Turner. She was live in Glasgow. Yes, Tina's come, we've all got tickets. And halfway through the day, I get a phone call from the spiritual church in Edinburgh. Hi, are you coming through tonight? We've sold all the tickets. I said, me? No, I'm going to see Tina Turner. Oh, no, we have a booking here. Oh, no, people have bought tickets for it, and it's a fundraiser. And I thought, oh, you're joking me. So I had to give up my ticket for Tina. And in myself, I was like, why me? Why do I do this? And I questioned it the whole day. At the end of the day, all my friends left the salon. I was left on my own. And just think, why me? Do you know, God, I try and help people. And I've really given Wouldn't myself, you, give me the reward you know, the hard time. I only want to go and see <laughs> Tina Turner singing River Deep Mountain High. Anyway, this is going on, and a man walks in, and I was not in a good place. I really think, I, want, I, I think I should give this up. Why do I do it? That was the thing I kept saying, why? This man came in at the end, can you please help me? I said, I'll try, sure. I thought, oh. He sat down, and I wasn't in a good place yet, and he wanted, of all things, a hot towel shave. And I thought, with a cutthroat razor, the mood I'm in. <laughs> you might be my next message, my next contact. I'm, <laughs> I'm preparing my own ones now. But anyway, I started to shave the man, and, and there it happened, boom, boom. And I thought, what? And I looked in the mirror, and there's a woman looking at me. And so real, really an actual vision, that I looked over my shoulder, because I thought, she must be behind me. And there's no one there. And this man's lying with his head back like this with soap. And I look and I could feel it. And that's how I knew it was real. Boom, boom. Everything, even from childhood, still follows me. I think, who are you? And she thinks back, no movement of her lips. Judy, tell him. Oh, now my heart, my physical heart starts to go. And I can feel this, boom, boom, boom. And I looked down and I said, excuse me, sir, can I say something to you? And he kind of opened his eyes. Was your razor ready? Yeah, I know, because I think, <laughs> I think he thought I had. I said, I need to tell you something. I said, do you know what a medium is? And this big guy, he's looking up at me. What? I said, I'm a medium. I said, and Judy's here. And his eyes just opened. And, and I, I instinctively went into medium mode. She's a short lady, blonde hair. She pushed it behind her head. She's wearing a, a black frock. She's here, da 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 And he starts to cry. And I can see the lady smiling at me now. And I said, why are you here? And she opens her hands. And there's just three lollipops. Uh -huh. And she said, tell him thanks. 
and she disappears. And I thought, seriously, you're coming in here, you're doing all this, and, and give a for lollipops for three right. lollipops. And I said to him, she just said thanks for the lollipops. Well, he dissolved into a sea of emotion. And it took me about 20 minutes to gather the guy. And end up, you know, you don't, it's strange or something. Do I hug the man? Do I at least take the The razor was removed. I get the man with some semblance of normality, and he said to me, I can't believe this. He said, Judy's my wife. He said, she died six months ago, he said, of like an adult caught death. She went to bed and didn't wake up. And I said, the lollipop, and he started crying. I said, oh, I'm sorry. He said, no, he says, her boy, yesterday I went to her grave. He said, and I thought, my wife's never going to see her son grow up. And the little boy said, Daddy, can I give my mum lollipops instead of flowers? And he said, oh, you can feel it. Even now, I can still feel it. That moment, you're like, oh. and he said, my wife can see my son. That realisation. So then I heard a voice in my head saying, that's why you do it. There is a footnote to this story. What's the footnote? Many years later, I happened to be in a special place and I happened to meet the said Tina Turner and I told her the story and she said, which song would you like me to sing for you? So she, I got a, my own private concert. So the spirit world never let you down. I go, yes. Oh, yes. wow. You see, that's worth more, more than any money or recompense. To know that the spirit world orchestrate this and the answers can take years to unfold or open. Once again, we go back to that lovely slow opening. Don't be in a rush. You'll spoil the goodness of the truth that is your potential future. That rings so true, Gordon. Mm. Thank you. And how can people discern charlatans and frauds in this world? There are so many mediums here. How do, how do we discern the real, the real deal? Well, I think the, the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. I think if you feel better. A good medium should set their mind to good intention. And I don't think you'll hurt or harm people if you go in genuinely with a good intention of, I want to heal this pe person. And for me, the word healing is always in my mediumship. Please, spirit, let us heal these people or let me heal this person. So they're starting like that. A charlatan will fluff around with just nonsense. It's all very generic. There's a lovely woman here. She loves you. Well, somebody right. you love, you know, look for, let them prove it to you that your loved ones are not in some over-skeptical, analytical way. Don't sit like that and go, no. But in does some that block the energy if yeah, someone's coming through I don't think it does. does it stop? I think that's psychological. I think the medium gets put off if somebody's doing that. Because you're watching a person, so you see their body language saying no. They're saying, I'm prove shut. Prove it to me, and I don't believe it. So a real medium doesn't need to prove anything. It will come. And the real medium, it should be easy for them. I mean, and I've been doing this now for 36 years. I've been working as a medium. And in that 36 years, I've only had twice, I think, where when it's not working, I've said, I'm so afraid uh, to tell you this, but I'm getting nothing. And actually, do you know what? I'm happy now to tell and you so that. so you've done that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. people, I'm getting nothing yeah. about you. Yeah. I mean, for me, anyway, it was a very different thing, Irene, because when I started out as a medium, I was a hairdresser. I had an income, and I didn't want to charge people for my mediumship. I always felt that the mediumship was a gift. So when, people, when I saw people, it was only people who had a loss. Um, so I was happy to share my gift with people. But that also meant I had the great gift of honesty. When it doesn't work, tell people, it's not working. So I love that I've been able to do that through my life. And That's so admirable. That's so admirable. And how do they usually react when you say, I can't? Well, I mean, honestly, people would say, 
is there a reason am I doing something? Me, yeah. And I'd say, absolutely not. And I'd say to them, look, it's a little bit like being a radio. And today I'm just not picking up a good frequency. It's nothing to do with you at all. And it's definitely nothing to do with your loved ones. It's me. The medium is just not attuned to the right vibration today. It might work another day. We'll try another day. I never let people go away feeling they've done something. Do they usually, does it really happen if they come back? <laughs> oh, yeah. comes through. And sometimes what we find is that the spirit world already know this is not the moment for their healing. Ah, so they're it's not like, ready. Yeah, they're not ready. Or maybe there's not the message that would cause the better effect. You know, somebody can say to me that a week after somebody dies, I would love a message, but my son obviously isn't ready. And you say, no, you're not ready. Your son's absolutely fine in the spirit world. It's you who needs to emotionally adjust enough, go through the first stage of grieving and things. Because the potential of a healing and a, a spiritual message, if, you, if it's right, it only needs to be done once. And then the person has to start their own spiritual recovery. Your own journey. They've got, yeah, and you've been down that road, so you know what that feels like. Yeah, yeah. It's so a medium can help so much, but you still need to then kick in. And, and you won't work. Yeah. Absolutely. And what are these Zoom classes you're, you're creating for Helping Parents <laughs> Heal? Uh, yeah, so well, yeah. So you're in England, and you're creating these classes. Yeah. Are you te what are you teaching them? What are you going to help people? Well, Zoom, are they, is it for the grievers? For, for we do a bit of both. Um, um, I do classes where... I try and help some of the parents to connect with their loved ones. So there's no point in me teaching them to be mediums, per se, to run around giving readings to people. I want them to, first of all, try and connect with their loved ones. A lot of people don't know how to do that. You're not kidding. And a lot of people don't feel they have the right to do it, or they feel guilty, or they feel we're dishonouring, we're disturbing them. So to give a little education on that, you're not disturbing anybody. You might disturb yourself if you don't get the answer that you want. And I'm here to look after you. So I will give instruction on things like that because even as a medium, I can't make spirits do a thing, but I can be open. So I try and teach them how to be open and how to do it without hurting themselves. Because a lot of people harm themselves unwittingly. In what way? Well, because they, they kind of wait for the flicker of a lamp. If that's you, do it again. And if it doesn't happen, why are they letting me down? They, they personalise it and then they self-deprecate. So that to me is not a good positive outcome of that. So I would rather teach people how to sit still in their own mind, create a space where they feel good. And in that space, ask the loved one just to be there. Don't give a message. Come in with me. So when we do that, the, the wonderful reaction that people get just by... And being given the permission. That will perhaps come into their head or, yeah. or, or a sensation or, or, a or a memory that they had forgotten because the grief has held their memories in some dark department of their mind that they have no access to anymore. And that's what grief does. People think, I can't remember what they look like, I can't see their face. Well, that's because you have gone into another one of these stasis where you, we need to get you back flowing again. So, to take people, especially with helping parents heal. Um, for me, it's one of the biggest things to help people who have lost cl close relatives of any kind, but especially children. Um, that, I think, is the greatest work that I can ever do. So I'm happy to help anybody in helping parents heal, whether they want to develop their own abilities and go further. My teachings are always about trying to keep people in the best condition, because even if somebody's got a talent as a medium, if it's unrefined, it's unruly. So for me, I, I like to try and nurture people enough to say, look, you have a beautiful gift, but let's develop you. 
And I love the fact that you encourage them to do their own healing. Oh, yeah. That, so that they're Self healed healing. the, the oh, yeah. vessel. Um, and not because they probably, if they're not healed like yeah. that, they can transmit some of their own wounds. Well, this is, this is the other thing. And, and not just that, like, you know, projecting your own conditions onto other people. There's only so much of that that can be done. But the very fact that they're taking a negative into a, a healing space. No. Well, you want a really good healer there that can actually take that and work with it. And, and that's something, again, that I'm trained to do is, is to sit with people's negativity and use it as an energy and turn it into something beautiful. We don't say that something's negative, but that's just an energy. So somebody can refine that energy and make it better, you know? That's fabulous. Gordon, the whole world wants to get in touch with you, so how do they do that? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I, I will like Harry is Potter. There, is there a special <laughs> website or a... Yes, um, gordonsmithmedium.com is my website. That's easy enough to spell, G-O-R-D-O-N-S-M-I-T-H. Medium, M-E-D-I-U-M, dot com. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I'm everywhere. And you're everywhere. <laughs> I'm viral. And you know, I usually ask people at the end of the interview what their tip is for finding joy, but I must say, in this situation, you oh, be are yourself. finding joy. Be yourself. You, you, you are joy. Just find it and then let it go. Let it open. Oh, that's beautiful. Be Gordon. happy. Gordon, thank you That's so much. Thank it's you from pleasure. my heart for pleasure. all of your healing gifts, pleasure for all the ways you so generously share yourself with the world, for everything you're doing with Helping Parents Heal, and for this special, memorable, amazing interview today. From well, my heart. I share that with you, wonderful lady. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Bless you. And bye for now.